On the hottest day of the year in the UK, Scott and I confront leadership in the face of uncertainty. I, with no air conditioning and a glass of tepid water. Scott, in a perfectly humidified environment, resplendent with lavish snacks and a high-class selection of beverages. We start with challenging that our world was ever certain. Our rearview mirror gives us a false picture, which we doggedly cling onto, of a more predictable environment. Playing this forward, we can confuse uncertainty and risk. How do we disrupt this response through the process of sense-making and determined humility? How do leaders hack at uncertainty and chart their way forward? Hey, John. Hello, Scott. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm very hot. It's the hottest day of the year in the UK here. Oh, is it? What's yeah. the temp? Um, it's somewhere in the mid-30s, and it's very, very fortuitous that our air conditioning unit broke down at the same time. So we're sitting here in a lovely office that's akin to a, an oven. Can you translate that for me into uh, Fahrenheit? Because I'm not good at that. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I think, I think I, you know, I, I'd need to go on my phone and do the thing, but it's it's hot. It's very hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of people don't have air conditioning. Do you have, you have air conditioning in your home though, yeah? No, not at home. Oh, man. No, we're trying to, we're trying to save the planet as a country oh, by, by sweltering. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's good to see you. Can you believe it's been since February, since we've occupied the same physical space? I know. Well, I mean, the, the same for so many people and friends. But, um, you know, thank goodness for, for all these digital technologies that allow us to have some semblance of connectedness. Yeah, well, I had a vision of us doing a lot of these actually in the same room, but uh, it's good that we can do it this way. Okay, all right, so what are we talking about today? I think we said we are talking about uncertainty. Um, in fact, you and I recently worked together on a learning project that we called Hacking Uncertainty, um, and we're going, to, we're going to soon have some guests on the show in the fields of neuroscience and psychology where we will hear their expertise on perceptions and emotions, some of which will focus on how we are functioning in times of ongoing uncertainty. So let's bring our hacking uncertainty concept into focus today. Does that sound good? That sounds great. Okay. Without politicizing anything, let's take the Trump campaign popularity of 2016, make America great again. Um, that message, essentially, to do something over. It was essentially to to redo it. It was a call to go back to a time when things were perceived or believed to have been better. In other words, the message was, hey, where we are isn't where you want to be, is it? And I don't believe we will make the world better by taking it forward with new thinking, new ideas, new innovation, and new technology. The message was, you know, I believe that the promised land is now behind us. And I assure you that essentially I can make you feel safe again. I can make you feel secure again. Now, whether you're a Trump supporter or not isn't the point I'm raising. The point is um, that the desire for a more certain, predictable world was the impetus, by and large, for why that campaign message worked so well. Obviously, there were other factors at play. Um, and this is not a political podcast, so we won't get into those factors, nor am I interested in becoming a political commentator of any kind. I bring it up because, to me, it's a great example of just how 
much people are willing to tolerate, excuse, or accept if it helps them to feel that their future is more certain. Okay, well, I guess that was something of a political comment after all, but we'll leave it right there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So VUCA and our response to it it, it is nothing new. If you don't know what VUCA stands for, V-U-C-A, it means volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And if you've lived through the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Great Depression, or even the Great Recession that followed the housing crash uh, a while back, then you've experienced VUCA. So that's not new. But what is changing is the acceleration of VUCA, which is why the 2016 Trump campaign was so well-timed and worked so well. The acceleration of volatility, black swans, market swings, all of it has been on the rise since 1950. So why does this matter to the evolving leader? Well, because we are increasingly faced with complex or significant challenges where we don't even fully understand the problem that we're trying to solve. And in those situations, how should leaders think about their role? So, John, you've worked with some of the largest, most complex, and most successful organizations in the world. Can we change things up a bit today? And instead of just chewing the fat, perhaps I can ask you a few specific questions that I've written down to help us all think a little differently about how to navigate uncertainty? Yeah, that'd be great. Cool. It, would, it wouldn't have gone very much farther if you'd said no, so I'm glad you agreed. <laughs> <laughs> that would have pretty much been the end of my, my little... Uh... Well, I always, like, I always try to be helpful. <laughs> I appreciate that about you. So, to you, what are the risks for the leader who wants to go back to the way things were? Is that, is that ever a good strategy in today's world? Well, let me think where there is any evidence of that ever happening. Um, and I, I'm struggling, really, <laughs> to be honest, to think about where you can go back to a, a kind of halcyon past that uh, you can recreate. And I think, you know, you, you do see communities trying to reestablish some previous utopian. But, you know, I, I was at a conference a few years ago um, talking about change. And as, at the end of this, a senior manager in the UK government somewhat beleaguerly asked me, can't we, why can't we offer our people some certainty, some respite from all this relentless change programs, most of which don't really change anything at all? So he was asking your question, why can't we go back to a time where I understood what was happening, when things seemed to be more under my control, and when I could offer my team some certainty? You know what, it was, it was a brilliant question. Because it really made me, I couldn't just immediately respond because I had to pause to find a way to be both more empathetic, to try and put myself into his shoes, and helpful because it would have been so easy to be trite uh, and point out the overwhelming evidence that in his part of government, which had been leading some of the biggest transformations in UK society, that was never going to be true. It was never going to be settling into a period of stability. And in the 15 years after that, um, it is just borne out to be the case. So I, I think we have a tendency to recast our past with a rosy filter. Hmm. You know, it was so much more comprehensible back then, wasn't it? You know, but it wasn't like that, of course. There was still all the doubt and uncertainty that we have today. It's just that when you look back at it, you understand it better. You have context, you have hindsight. So just as the dot-com bubble or the global financial crisis is now very understandable to us. We, we, we know why it happened. Then it was a moment of radical uncertainty. 
So from a leadership perspective, I think, you know, we have to, we have to ask ourselves some different questions. We need to pull apart understanding the situation and what our responses should be. And, you know, the, there's a guy called Richard Rumsfeld who wrote a brilliant book called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. And one of the central questions that he says that leaders do not ask enough is simply this, what's going on? What's going on here? All too often, we skip that question of taking in what's really happening. And we try to move to understanding through a template from our past. It's one of those situations to try and reduce our sense of anxiety and to get on with action. The problem in an uncertain world is that we're confusing risk and uncertainty. Risk is the things that we can attach a probabilistic um, statistic to. We can say it's 50% likely to be this. Uncertainty, we simply don't know. We do not know what the answer is. Mm. And more of the time, those past templates are inaccurate and unhelpful. So we need to spend more time disrupting that automatic response by sense-making, by asking, what's going on? And, you know, it's disingenuous of a leader to try and shield their people from the reality of a changing environment on the basis of caring for them. You know, you're doing an absolute opposite there. You're, you're actually setting them up for a crisis where denial or ignorance meets reality. And they'll be underprepared. And that's like, you know, preventing your children from learning about the world, cosseting them because you want them to preserve their innocence. But at the root of this, too many managers would rather be liked than right. That's brilliant. I want to just pull out something that I think is, is such an important point. There was never a certainty, is what you're saying. It was, it's just in hindsight, when you can make sense of all of it, you feel like you now know what was going on. And if we could go back there, maybe it wasn't so scary as it was at the time that it was happening. Is that, is that a fair thing well, to sort of? <laughs> you just like remember now what it was like at the global financial crisis. We really did not know for months what was happening, why it was happening. We, we kind of knew what some of those threads were. We didn't know why governments hadn't got a handle on this, why the regulators didn't understand it. There were so many uh, opinion, different opinions about what, who was you know, responsible, what should be done, what Barack Obama should do, what Gordon Brown in the UK should do. Mm. And it felt very frightening. You know, and if you're, if you're on the verge of retirement, for example, and you're seeing your, um, your pension disappear uh, into thin air, uh, your future looks very uncertain at that moment. Now, when we look back at that 12 years later and we say, well, we really understand what it looked like. We understand the mechanisms by which we entrusted um, you know, the, our futures to these automated algorithms that predict markets uh, on the basis of pretty imperfect information. But you know, the people that were paying for that at the head of these investment banks were really confident that they'd cracked um, mm. you know, the physics of, of markets. Right. We understand that's not true, but it was overwhelmingly complex and uncertain at that moment. So what's the mindset shift that's needed for the evolving leader? One shift I think we need to make um, is from know-it-all to find-it-all, moving from believing you must be right, you must have the answers, that you must be certain, to determined humility. Determined humility. What is determined humility? Well, determined humility is the holding of opposites, the drive to succeed in the face of accepting unfamiliarity. And the core skill set is surfacing, accepting, and 
busting assumptions. Well, I would imagine, you know, leaders get rated on the decisions they make, right? So were they right or were they wrong? And what was the implications to the business? So can you expand um, on the difference between taking a determined decision that may be necessary and applying determined humility? Well, does that make does that make sense? It, it's it's and it's not an easy it's not an easy answer really because um, so much of the decision making that we see among senior leaders um, falls into two traps. One is that they are solving the wrong problems, you know, the ones that they can solve, mm-hmm. the ones they can comprehend, where the data seems to give them either binary or good probabilistic uh, risk that they can assign to it. But the real problems we need to solve in this uncertain world are ones where we don't know and we have to uh, adopt a different way of of dealing with it. So data-driven decision-making is important. It's brilliant for simple problems. So I'm not suggesting that we don't want to be right or certain where we can. And leaders are paid to make decisions every day. But when things get complex, when you're trying to influence the development of emergent properties in a system, for example, trust or creativity and collaboration, you find it really hard to measure those because we end up using things that are proxies, not the things itself. So if you want to measure you know, um, trust in the system, you, you can't measure trust in absolute terms. You have to measure proxies. And then sometimes we end up becoming more interested in the proxies than we do mm. in the actual thing itself. For example, engagement surveys lose sight of that all the time because of the context-specific reasons for scores. And therefore, you know, we fail to address the root causes um, at, a, mm. at a global level. Do you think that's because we tend to assume that we know what needs to happen or, you know, we assume that others expect us to know what we need to do? Wow. Or both. Wow. That's a very, <laughs> that's a very big question. Um, could you give me a couple of months to think about that one? No, I, it, is, <laughs> it is a great question. Um, so like one of our, our guests that's coming along um, in a while, Lisa Fieldman Barrett, um, who's a remarkable woman who's kind of overturned 30 years of, of conventional wisdom around um, the theory of emotions. She, what she's kind of pointing out is our brain is continuously making prediction about what's happening and about to happen. So when you're talking to somebody, like I'm talking to you now, your brain is unconsciously making a, a continuous series of predictions about what you're going to say next, how they're feeling, what they're thinking. In other words, you're continuously making sense of the world through a vast set of assumptions. And you're not aware of that. So that directs how you think. It directs how you feel about circumstances and what you see. So your mindset is being constructed in real time based on your assumptions, based on your interactions with other people's mindset. And assumption mm. forming is the key mechanism of that whole process. So mm. I guess, you know, to answer your question succinctly, both. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you could have just said that. Oh, Okay. <laughs> So if determined humility, coming back to, to that, well, we're not really coming back to that, but staying on that point. If determined humility is predicated upon the need to identify and bust assumptions, how do we do that? I think it's a craft. It's not a science um, because assumption busting requires us to hold on to our expertise a little bit more lightly. It doesn't mean losing it. Um, you know, we, we've preciously hard fought to, to understand things, and it's the, it's the foundation on which we build our ability to do this. 
But it, what we have to do is to confront fear and replace it with the excitement of discovery. Because fear, as we talked mm. about in the previous mm. uh, podcast on, on the nine fears, is our central kind of reaction to uncertainty. So like scientists you know, who fail lots to be right, um, we've got to, to switch to the kind of um, the, the excitement of discovery. So the determined part of this is the quest, the intrinsic motivation of discovery. The humility part is that what we currently know, what we think we know, is often our biggest obstacle to making a breakthrough. So it starts by asking different types of questions, ones that have the power to disrupt our status quo, disrupt our, our sense of um, rightness and that, that we know things, um, and that we really embrace the uncertainty in a different sort of way. So I love that you said the quest for discovery. Um, that's just really resonating with me. Do you think that's foundational for leaders today? I mean, you know, to sort of differentiate between what it is to be a, a sort of manager and, and sort of what it really means to be a leader. Do you think that sort of quest for discovery is a critical component in today's world? Maybe always, but maybe even more so now. Well, I think it's foundational in the sense that, you know, if, if, if you're not seeing it the world like that, you're back to our manager in the UK government mm. who's uh, you know, seeking an end game that you can then preserve. You know, the idea that you can build a company or build an organization, build a team, perfect it, and then, you know, defend it against all comers forever. Right. I mean, nobody can do that. It's never happened. I mean, right. you can create longevity in, in systems, but they are constantly adapting. So it, it is a quest. And the quest is really about seeking out the problems that you're currently not seeing. And every time you find a new one, <laughs> that just opens up a whole new horizon of questions. I think I think we, we could go down that road for a long time. In fact, I think we should do a whole episode on the quest for discovery. So let's let's do that next time, maybe. Maybe I'm the only one, but I want to do it. No, no, let's do it. No, I'm 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 with you. I'm just uh, you know I'm just thinking about what uh, you know what 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 questions are we going to ask to get there? That's the brilliance of it. We don't know. No. We're just gonna we're just gonna roll. So we're just gonna roll tape. Let's have a uh, let's have a session where we don't know what we're doing. That'll be really fun for, <laughs> for that'll be really fun for the listeners. <laughs> I think that's every session, anyhow. Oh, so, okay. Okay. okay, we're figuring it out. Though. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, Okay, so how can we use the mindset of determined humility to begin hacking uncertainty in our increasingly VUCA world? Well, I think I'd start by asking that question that doesn't seem to be very valuable a lot of the time, which is, what's going on here? Because the underlying assumption is we all know what's going on. But if you work with any team for the first time, you'll see that there is inevitably some form of elephant in the room, something that everybody knows but nobody's talking about. Right. Be that, uh, you know, like a, a problem they're not solving, be that a member of the team that is not happy, um, be that a, a sense of um, insecurity that the team might feel um, amongst the organization or other teams, or, or just generally that collective sense of unease that we're not really doing what we're supposed to be doing. Mm. So... I'd start by asking that question when I or my team feels uncertain. And then I'd move from there to start listening what's happening in our environment, particularly through the lens of factors that are shaping our emotional responses to this, because so often we disregard those. Hmm. But they're, they're valuable information. They often shape what our actions are. And from there, I'd list the, the assumptions we're making about what's going on. And from these, 
I'd consider how then we can test those assumptions. That gives me a, a path through uncertainty. That allows me to hack uncertainty. Could you say just a little bit more about what it would look like to test your assumptions? Like, is there a basic framework you'd recommend on how to do that? Well, if you look at startups, which is uh, you know one of the areas in the world where people are regularly doing this, they keep assumption logs. An assumption log is really simple. It says, you know, we believe, it's like the basis of a hypothesis in science. We believe that if we do this, this will happen. Or we believe customers currently are experiencing this problem or this pain or this need. And, uh, or it may be in, a, in an organization that, you know, we believe that it's impossible to improve the efficiency of this technology by 50% because it it uh, defies physics, for example. And if we think about what innovators and entrepreneurs often do is that they do what was once regarded to be improbable, unrealistic, or unachievable. So assumptions really are at the heart of challenging what limits our perception, our beliefs about what's possible. Um, and so that's what startups do the whole time. They they basically list down on their assumption logs the things that, that are holding them back mm. that they currently believe. And then they ask themselves two things. What What is the, the facts that we can gain around these assumptions? And how are we currently, you know, in viewing those assumptions? What, what story do we tell to preserve the fact that that feels true? Hmm. And then by pulling apart the, the story and the, the evidence, which you could then test, you can bust assumptions or you validate them. They're true. Um, and that gives you then a, um, a reliable, repeatable formula for breaking past the limits of what you currently know about a situation and to be able to see more of what's happening. I love it. Well, to quote Voltaire, doubt may be uncomfortable, but certainty is absurd. Um, another thing springs to mind as I was listening to you talk, another quote that I don't know who said this, um, but it kind of brings us full circle, I think. I can't go back to yesterday because I was a different person then. You know, we can't go back to yesterday, nor should we want to. Um, the quest for discovery lies ahead. And if we have the tools to navigate them, like you've clear, like you've laid out so well for us, anything becomes possible. So one more question. Um, how does one evaluate in themselves if they are leading from a place of determined humility? Because I know for me, I don't always adopt um, the mindset that I aspire to, or I don't actually always live out uh, with intentionality, even though I really want to. So obviously I want to have this determined humility in my own life. How would I know if I'm doing it well? I mean, how would it, as opposed to assuming that I'm doing it, how do I test that assumption? Well, I suppose the ultimate test is you ask other people <laughs> and they'll tell you, um, or they may not, but um, that's one way of doing it. I think there are two things that, that, that are going on inside us that are pretty reliable indicators for that. The first is um, how are we feeling? Because uh, you know, if you pay attention to yourself when you're justifying why something new is impossible or why it's unfeasible to do when you become defensive, that pretty much that emotional reaction is a very powerful piece of information that says this is making you frightened this is making you scared and then fear when that kicks in your only inevitable path then is to make sense of that fear 
through the construction of a self-justifying narrative. We can't do this. This is not possible. I'm a victim in this situation. Um, and and the, the typical response in the corporate environment is get real, get pragmatic, pay attention to um, what is regarded as safe around here. And that de-risking, which is not a rational process, but an emotional process, then undermines your very ability to uh, hack uncertainty and to bust assumptions. Mm. And then I think the second thing, which is probably, you know, that's the kind of craft element of it. Um, the other kind of more rational part of it is to ask different types of questions. So when you are pushed into that negative emotional reaction, when you feel the fear of something new or challenging to your sense of identity, then you have a choice. You have a choice to ask a question, which is really a statement, a judger type of question, one that locks the other person down, that makes the other person feel insecure or basically warns them off. Or you open yourself up by asking a learner question. And it might, that, that first question might be a silent one. <laughs> it might be internally, you know, so what am I not seeing here? What, why am I feeling like this? What do I need to do to stay open in this moment? Mm. And then you externalize it by saying, you know, tell me more. Mm. Keep yourself open to, to what people are, you know, say some more about that. You know, I'm really interested. Even if you're feeling frightened, say, I'm really interested. Tell me more mm. about that. Because in that moment, you prevented yourself going down a, uh, a kind of irreversible path where you've just shut everybody down and yourself. And you've, you've, you give yourself another go. You give yourself another go at being able to stay open in that moment. Um, so I think when I become defensive and start searching myself, not others, what assumptions I'm holding, I think we need to write it down, even if they seem wholly impractical. We need more leaders to make that leap into uncertainty by embracing it, not rejecting it. Thank you, John. That was, that was really good. I, I, those were, I'm going to sit with that for a while and, and, and really try to metabolize that. Um, you said a lot of really important things there that I think we all could benefit from. So thank you again um, for being agreeable to do this format. It was fun for me. Hope it was for you. It was certainly was, Scott, and thank you. And, you know, the the joy of thinking about these things is it, it's a constant reminder to the self, particularly in the face of all our, you know, inevitable uncertainty around corona, what I as a leader need to be doing differently in terms of busting the assumptions that are holding my status quo in place. So it's, um, it's definitely the talking cure. Mm. So until next time, Scott, the world is changing. Are you... 